Welcome back to the Livestock Leaders Podcast. It's Millie here, your host from the Livestock Collective, and I'm stoked to announce that today's talent is our very first truck driver, Andy Jacob. Welcome, Andy. How are you going in freezing Victoria? Oh, thanks, Millie, and g'day. How are you? It's um, a little chilly, I might say. Um, slowly getting used to the Victorian winter, but yeah, definitely very fresh. Yep, that's something that I certainly don't miss. Um, Andy, we start each episode with the same question, and that is, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself with? I struggled with this. I, um, I must admit, I did ask my wife, and I got a whole lot of stuff that I can't repeat, but um, <laughs> a lot, along with uh, headstrong and annoying. But oh, look, what I'll go with is, is passionate, loyal, and, and dedicated. Yes, um, having been in a workshop with you, Andy, I can certainly attest to those three words. So I just want to get a bit of your background, Andy. Like, Where are you from? What do you do? How did you get into livestock transport? Look, it was a passion from an extremely young age. Um, I, we, as a very as a young family, very young kid, I sort of came from very not far from from where you were, where you grew up, actually. So between Narracourt and Bordertown as a very little kid, but um, did a bit of schooling in Adelaide and then uh, finished off all my schooling in Perth. At that stage, we were living on a station. Best way to describe that would be draw a, a pinpoint in the middle of WA and that was pretty close to where, where I grew up or finished schooling. And so they were pretty impressionable years at that stage. Um, and uh, once uh, getting a getting once I got my license that was always a passion to drive um so I'd actually been at it unofficially for a couple of years before I got that out there in in the bush but um it sort of grew, it grew from there and and um sort of got into trucks at, at um as soon as I could when I was about 20. Yeah right so you were the kid with all the toy trucks. Yeah I was actually um <laughs> and, it, and it pains me to admit that I actually had them all lined up on the floor apparently as a little kid when I was about three or four so yeah, <laughs> I don't know oh, I should admit so that funny. one or not, but yeah, no, it was. <laughs> it's live now. <laughs> yeah, oh dear. Oh, we'll try and dig my way out of this. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have representation from um, our little neck of the woods, um, southeast South Australia and Western Victoria area. Um, and how was that upbringing in the middle of WA? That would have been pretty isolating. It was extremely um, isolated and... Look, it was fantastic. I look back on it now. There's certainly aspects of that life I, I miss. Um, the station life, I think, is pretty awesome. Um, very impressionable. There was a lot of stuff that used to happen around uh, the, the lifestyle and and that that you, you you relate a few stories to people now and they just don't believe you that that how it used to operate. But I I loved it. Um, I I think it founded a few life lessons for me that, that came along later on that, that um, so I think the survival instinct of, of um, the country is very, very unforgiving. And I think um, that's something that, that we've got to, that I, I respect a lot more now having had that experience. And are any of those stories PG enough to repeat on air? <laughs> <laughs> oh, some of them, yes, some of them, no. <laughs> Did you, when you first got into transport, was it always livestock? No, I had a real mixed bag. Like once uh, I went, the station was sold on on me on, on a couple of months before I got home from school. So that that sort of 
paved the, it was a bit of a crossroads at that point. And we went in a different direction. So I went and worked on some farms for, for a year or two until I could get my license. Um, and then at that stage, I, I had a mixed bag of transport. I've, I've been lucky enough over, the, over those following years from there to see the ag side of it. So that was bulk grain and fertilisers, wool and all that sort of stuff. And then went into the general freight for a while and had, had a bit of a look at express freight, which was uh, another eye-opener. And at a young age, that, um, that t- taught me a lot. I was very lucky to gain a few skills at that, uh, around that world. Uh, and on to sort of bulk wine and so I've, I've been pretty lucky I've, I've seen a fair bit of different uh, forms of freight but I it was it was later on see I had a couple of different different lives really I, I went into the civil contracting for a little while and then also had a couple of years in aviation so I've been pretty spoiled wow. in experience to have um, seen different industries and seen how they they operated but uh, it all culminated probably about eight years ago where um, I'd sold out of a uh, business that I had in the, um, the southwest of WA uh, in, in civil construction, uh, in earth moving. And at that point, I just said, well, I'm going to go and do what I love and what I always wanted to do, which is livestock transport. So I had done um, a bit of livestock, uh, obviously, in my early 20s, but I, I really wanted to go back and and um and just do what i loved and the last eight years has proved that it certainly wasn't a a bad move i I enjoy every day of of what i do yeah awesome amy that's so good to hear um i will admit that i have overflowed a wine tanker with some very expensive (laughs) wine in my time but we'll move back on to your story so um eight years ago was that in western australia you stayed in livestock transport in western australia Yes, um, I, I, that's uh, absolutely, it was WA. So uh, live export was probably the core of what kept me busy of where work was. The, um, the landscape of work around livestock transport in WA is quite unique. It's, it's very small, particularly when you, you look at nationally of what animals are moved around the place, the, the markets and how it operates. You, it's it's um it's a small little world over there and and uh and so live export was probably the the, the easiest spot to be able to go and find regular work so um i'd slip back into that i'd done i'd done plenty of that probably in, in my 20s around boats and how the volume of what was exported back in in those days in the 90s compared to what we were were doing when i came back this time i, I saw a stark difference between or how the industry had sort of shrunk. Um, it, 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 it was fast becoming a very niche um, market. And so that was very interesting to, to see. Mm, yeah, because did the flock numbers, did they peak in the 80s or 90s? Oh, look, I don't know. That would be... That'd be a good question for Maddie Dalgleish, actually, with his statistics as to, oh, yeah, as we'll to what that is. <laughs> I'm glad we've dubbed him in. <laughs> Oh, I'm happy to throw him under the bus, <laughs> but he's um, he, he would he would probably answer that one a bit better. Look, gut feel is is it was probably yeah well late 80s 90s was it was definitely humming. There was a lot going on from a transport side of things. You either did one or the other as far as you you carted animals out of feedlots uh, into Fremantle or, or to the wharf um, to the boats, or you carted them in, and and it wasn't wasn't uncommon to to see three sometimes even you know sort of four boats sometimes in a in a 10-day period they were just back to back and so there was it was it was very busy there was a lot going on um but you you skip forward to where we were um sort of five six years ago and 
we were we were scratching to sort of do three a month um and so that that is a very different landscape from a transport perspective yeah and we're really getting to the crux of it now because andy you were a very big part that you played in starting the sheep collective project which is now the livestock collective what was your role in that and how did it all come about well obviously the sort of poo hit the fan there with what hit the media and in that um the footage we were all pretty horrified and devastated with what we were watching and what we saw um i was a committee member for the livestock and rural transporters association at wa at that stage um i did verbalize in a committee meeting what i i believe that we needed to be doing and those members around that that association certainly backed me to, to to go and have a have a crack and say do something about it. So I was very keen and happy to to go down there and try and put a bit of a voice to another part of the supply chain. So where that started um, was Holly uh, said that you know I wanted to get together and have a, a few within that supply chain just try and join forces. There that particular day that was probably where it, where it launched we had um there was there was holly and and john and nick renee and bindi from memory and so each one of the those guys all represented a different part nick was from the middle east so he he was in country holly is as a veterinarian and exporter um, bindi is a producer john was representing the, the live export association and then Renee as a veterinarian and myself as, 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 a, as a truck driver. And I thought collaboratively, I thought we, we had a chance of, of trying to put another message and another, um, another view across because what was being sort of shown and expressed was nothing about what the entire industry is about. And I felt that to be very unfair. I, I thought we really, somehow we needed to put some balance back into the argument, even if we were very much on the back foot, we had nothing to lose. If it was going to be shut down completely, well, as far as I was concerned, there's my business model gone and done. Um, and, and so I, um, I, was, I was very happy to, to stand alongside those guys and, and put a united voice together. Yeah, so you united the supply chain, you had the, the what was it, five or six of you there. What came next? So you opened up the wharf, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And I thought that to be really good because for many years, for um, oh, it's no secret that, that the the um, those activists that were against the industry were um, had had been having a crack at it for a long time. There's some there's sort of twenty plus, maybe even more years of of history there where they'd been trying to shut it down. So um, we. In, in doing that, there was never any real fight back publicly. It was keep your head down, don't say anything, don't talk to anyone type thing. Well, this was different. We, we, um, I very much agreed with the idea of open up and, and, and show. Like, let's get inside, bring people in and, um, and have, a, have a voice uh, around what's going on and be transparent. I think that was actually probably the word I'm looking for. Be transparent about what was going on. So... By bringing the media in onto the onto the wharf and taking them through the, the ship, that was a really that was probably a key point. But then there, then there was a lot of other uh, tours organised for other 
people, whether they be politicians or there were plenty of invitations to politicians to come down and, and, and have a look at what was going on and see how a vessel was loaded, see how the animals were on the ship and, and see firsthand what was happening rather than just taking, you know, they were going to be voting on, on, on policy and, and um, I thought it was pretty important to try and show them firsthand rather than have it third hand verbally that they didn't really know or be, have a tarnished view from, from someone with an extreme view. So, um, so that was that was very that was new. That was different, a very different direction that the industry was taking to be so open and transparent. Yeah, absolutely, it really changed things up. And how was your experience with the media? Like, I'm I'm sure there would have been some stories from there. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I yeah, there is one that I I I, um, I thought was typical of what was going on that. We had a particular TV crew, which I won't mention who they are, but there, there were there were several crews there, so they were they were all well represented. And we're on board. Uh, the there's sheep. We're, we're on a deck where where the, they'd all been penned up, and the sheep were all just having a having a drink and a, and a few chewing on a few pellets and pretty content. So this fellow wanted to grab a bit of footage. Anyways, as he's moved towards them, they've they've pushed away. They've run away. And they've penned it, pushed into a corner, and you could see him getting a bit excited about wanting to film this. So he's gone even further into the into the pen, and I grabbed him and I said, "Mate, do you actually understand anything about pressure?" He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, animals respond to pressure," and I said, "They're all in the corner here because of you." And he's looked at me like I've got two heads, and I said, "Here, come back here." I said, "Come back up where you where you were." So I took him up to the other end of the pen. And it, with that, I said, watch. And they all just started to filter back round. The pressure was taken off and they were content and they were back drinking. And I said, right, now that's what you need to film. He said, but I can't make a story out of that. I said, well, that's the truth. <laughs> I said, that's what, you, that's what you need to film because this is what's actually going on. He said, but that's no good to me. He said, that won't sell tonight. Mm. I said, dude, this is, this is how it is. Anyway, he, he got a couple of bits of... I, he didn't go in. He didn't do what 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 he was going to do, but you could see he was agitated. And I thought, well, that that was pretty typical of of what they were really about. Now he, he wasn't like all all of them. There were plenty of media that that came down and had a look and went, wow, you know, this is we need to try and support you guys and show another show another angle, which was really humbling and and sort of encouraging from our perspective that they were able to to give us a bit of hope that hey, look, you know, we're we're, we're not there is a chance here of, of being able to put our side across. And very influential in, in doing so. Andy, you've since become part of the Livestock Leaders Program at the beginning of 2021. Tell me about that experience and how is it different to being involved with the initial sheep collective project? Well, the, very similar uh, in that when that, we were on the wharf in that, like I was just explaining, and uh, that that situation, having the media down there and and being involved with with that, uh, we had a bit of support um, about how to articulate ourselves, how not to be taken down that rabbit hole, and suddenly you're talking about a topic that you really know nothing about, and you're digging a hole deeper and deeper and doing yourself a lot of damage, and how to sort of bridge back to your key point. You know, really only having one or two points you, you, to get across all that type of stuff. We had a little bit of cr- uh, training around that. And it was a bit of a crash course from my perspective. It was about an hour and a half one day and or a couple of hours, whatever it might have been. But it was, it was pretty full on. So 
and invaluable, absolutely invaluable experience. Um, skip forward to to um, the, like the last workshop that you and I were at in in Bendigo recently. The same sort of messaging, although it did go a little bit further, and there was a bit more involved around certainly the social media side of it, how to how to articulate yourself in that arena and and, and that sort of thing. But the same core values were, were there about trying to find a shared value, keep to your messaging. Um, I think a, a good thing for mine that was in both cases was, you know, don't talk about something you don't know about. It's all right if you don't know about it. You're okay. And that, for me, I thought, Christ, if you get in front of the camera or a reporter, you had to have every answer for every question they had. I, that's how I thought it needed to be. And you actually don't. Half the time, they don't have a clue what they're, they're actually re reporting on with any detail. So you've got that ability to be able to maybe guide the story to what, what some key facts and, and stuff. So I saw a lot of parallels between the two. But the, the, other, the other big thing that I noticed in the um, recent workshop is probably the networking I thought was invaluable. Um, I was probably a little bit like um, your your previous interview. I think it was with Barb. She said, "Oh, look, I'm, I might be you know, a bit old for this. What what am I going to get out of it?" I felt a very similar thing. However, once getting there, it's, it's inspiring. I thought, "Wow, you know, look, the, um, no, there's plenty to gain from this and plenty to to get involved." So it was it sort of renewed a bit of vigor because I was a little battle scarred after I left WA, and I did spend probably a good twelve months where I sort of buried my head in the sand, I guess. Um, and so it was, it was inspiring to know that there's plenty of other like-minded people out there that are just as passionate and, and are really keen to, to see a positive story be put out. Yeah, excellent to hear. And as you were just saying, like there's no age gap or there's no section of the supply chain that shouldn't have a voice and be able to share their story, Andy. Um, networking at 2am was it your bedroom or someone no, else's no room? no no <laughs> no it was not me and i was not the ringleader <laughs> oh i no. was there i'm not sure about that <laughs> <laughs> there was a few there actually <laughs> no, it was so I'm i think i'm pretty sure we were that's... telling the farm fail stories weren't we I think you instigated that actually. Tell us your worst one. I think I might have exited stage left before I got to mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but look, I think that's a good, it's a cultural thing that to try and spend time. And it's hard when you, if you haven't spent a lot of time around people, that you get into that social environment to, you know, to, to have a couple of quiet drinks and, and then start talking about like minded stuff. It's hard to stop. And it's, it's just fantastic to, to um you, you gain a lot of friendships and and so yeah, good thing yeah i agree and i think that victorian group was particularly excited because speaking to some of them it was one of their first real you know events and workshop like networking opportunities that they'd had since covid so i found that that group was especially yeah. active in in connecting and got a bit excited perhaps on the networking night. <laughs> <laughs> we were we are well we're still got covid like it hasn't gone away we're, we're still struggling with things at the moment but um yeah no it's certainly a bit of cage line type stuff going on there and and uh, so the opportunity to get out is and slip the slip the chain and, and the, the collar and disappear was yeah we weren't going to take a second opportunity at it we we're going to go so it was good yeah no lots of fun so Andy I guess what I see is that we're you know the people from the public they don't see on the farms they don't see on the feedlots you know and apart from those live export vessel tours that you guys opened up like they don't see that 
but they they do see the trucks they do see the trucks with the livestock going through the cities it's very much on display in comparison to other areas of the supply chain why is it important to you that livestock transport industry has a voice we definitely need a voice we're the meat and the sandwich a lot of the time and i always advocated that that exact point you make which is very right we are the face so what people saw of an industry was what they saw of that particular truck driving down that highway that particular day that's that's their only real interaction in a lot of cases and with live x while you're in the city so that um that skirting up the highway uh, uh, there and into into Fremantle was was gave you plenty of public exposure and Fremantle as a whole I think I can maybe tongue-in-cheek say they weren't really fond of of, of live export as a as a whole around that part of the world anyway so we, we weren't welcomed with open arms when we drove in there and and so I always thought that from a transport perspective we needed to be doing it cleaner and neater than anyone else and it was a message that I advocated in, in, in my association that I felt that that was an area that, that really needed some support and attention. Um, so I, I think we often don't get an opportunity to influence the job in a certain way that if we may see that it can be done better, we, we don't necessarily have that voice. And, and I think that can be really tough. You, you see every aspect of it. But um, whether you're leaving the farm and, and, and once you've driven out of there, the, the producer, well, he's in control of his little world there. And once it's gone, it's gone. Um, yeah, but, but we're the ones that are still in charge and still responsible for, for whatever's going on, uh, that, that you don't want to see an ugly situation on the side of the road that you're trying to fix because um, someone in, in some other part of the supply chain didn't do their job properly. So I think it's very important that we have a voice. Um, and that we'd be part of the consultation as to how the jobs run. And I don't, I, I, it's there. I'm not going to say it's not there. there. There's certainly a bit of consultation, but I think we can have more. I, I, I would advocate that there's, there's more opportunity for us to do more good um, in and around um, the livestock industry. Yeah. And what are some of those key sort of issues that you want to address um, even within industry or with the public? Like what are key messages that you want to get out there? <laughs> There's plenty of political ones I could ever crack at at the minute, but <laughs> yeah. I, I've got to be a little bit careful here. Uh, look, I, you've just got to continue to work together. I think that that collaborative approach is a really big thing for me. It's why I was very keen to stand on the wharf that day and will always advocate going forward that collaboratively and you work side by side you've got a chance of doing something it i i think you'll do more good by by getting in a room and and, and trying to work together than you will in a in a um sort of trying to bash the door down as a and how do i try and describe this probably as an association sometimes a, a whole group of people uh, like an association will come against a, a, a bit of a brick wall some days because of the wherever you're going with whatever issue or political issue you're trying to deal with there's pushback whereas what i, I liked about the, the livestock collective is that you're starting to get people to work together from different sectors and and develop those relationships so that you know when an issue does come up you can you can ring oh, i'll give old mate a ring from who's a, a feedlotter, for example, um, I get his intake, he can come and help help us with this issue or he or she type thing. You bring in other other parts that you collaboratively, you can have a greater, out, a better outcome and, and I think faster. But 
So does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think that uh, Victorian workshop, well, all of them have had quite a big spread in areas of supply chain, but particularly that Victorian workshop, you know, we had the truck driver, the, you know, there was even an agronomist there, beef, um, sheep, lamb, wool producers, um, there was market analysts, it was a very good spread in people and it was really empowering to see everyone connect. Going forward, Andy, what are some opportunities for the livestock transport industry? Oh, I thought about this this type of thing earlier in, in the week when, and oh, look, there's I could I could talk for a couple of hours on on where it's go, where it's going or where it could go, and we we've got some issues as livestock transporters. I think the fundamental thing is the the people in it. So we've got an aging workforce. And we've got a skill set that is slowly, in my eyes, is slowly diminishing. We don't have what I saw in the, in the 90s where you had a lot of young fellas coming in, learning the ropes and, and, and forging a bit of a career as um, being livestock carriers. That's not happening to the degree that it was back then. We've got older, there's actually, well, there you go. When I left transport, sort of in my mid-late 20s and then went away and did some other things for a little while, when I came back um, sort of 15 years later, the same guys were still driving the same trucks or, you know, still still in the same industry doing the same job. And I was blown away by that. I thought, well, where, where's the new young kids coming in? And, and you, I've, what I've seen over the last seven or eight years is they're not. So that, our skill set is... I think probably one of our um, biggest assets that we need to try and protect. And I have no idea how the hell we do that. But I see livestock transporters as being slightly different to other forms of transport. You've got to have the right temperament to do the job. Um, it, and it's not a job for everybody. And so I, I think the people that, that are in it are, are probably where we need to have one of our more greater focuses. Yeah. And is that also a challenge, I guess, going forward? It's a, it's a massive challenge, Millie. The, if I can take a stereotype of many, many years ago that if you couldn't get a job anywhere else, you went and drove a truck. And, and I say that with tongue in cheek because I've got some, some body good mates that, are, that, that, that used to, that was their, their yarn, not, not necessarily mine. But to, to be in this industry now, it's a, it's a massive capital investment. Um, there are very slim margins in profitability it's not a business model that you can go out and make a bucket load of cash in it just there's it's it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in or what what you're shifting or where the numbers are same your, your, your percentages and your P&Ls and how they work they're, they're all the same there might be one or two percent here or there but you you don't have massive chunks of profit and so that that limits um how you what you 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 return so your capital investment not everyone wants to go and do that it's it's cheaper to go and buy a house than it is to go and buy a truck and set of crates and you you you're then not necessarily going to be guaranteed to be able to to, to keep the thing afloat so it's it, there's some there's some big challenges going forward um in how the industry you know tackles those challenges i i think that just comes down to a bit of politics and how we how well we you, as a united front, the, those issues that we work on collectively. Yeah, and that 
um, as you just said, collectively, like that's something that the livestock collective are, are conscious of, like continuing to unite the supply chain and giving those truck drivers a, a voice because they play such an important part in our supply chains. Andy, one of our final questions is what makes you proud to be in the industry that you're in? Oh, look, that's, that's probably a bit of a tough one. I, I, I am proud. I am proud to be in the industry. I, I won't go anywhere else now. I've, I've been extremely lucky to have previous opportunities in, in years to see other, uh, other jobs and I, I won't leave this. I, I love being around the animals. I, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll name them as they come on and off the truck, which is often seen a bit <laughs> bizarre by, by, by some of the uh, people I work for. Like, so you're not really counting them, different. you're just naming them. <laughs> yeah, there's Theodore and there's Harriet and Sophie and oh, what, you know, whatever. <laughs> you no, just admitted this all Andy. Yeah, I know. Look, I, it's just made me a bit silly. But, no, I do, I do. I care about what I do. And and you see them all walk off happy at the end and I think that's um, you've, you've done well. I, I'm – if something's gone wrong and I keep being told and I do understand if you can't livestock, you can't dead stock, that is a reality. Uh, that is part of it. But if something goes wrong one day and you might lose one, I'm, I'm sort of going, why? You know, what happened there? Did, could we have done this different? And, and I, nine times out of ten, the answer is no, you couldn't. It's just reality of, of what happens. But if you're passionate about what you do and you, you love what you do, you'll naturally be proud of what you do and proud of the, the, how you conduct yourself and, and how, how, that, um, how, how your job's done. So I'd, I'd love to continue to see things evolve and I, I think that's probably what I love about the, the livestock, what's become the livestock collective is it's collaborative and it's positive and it's for the future. And all these guys that come into the room have all got a different story, which is fantastic. And they can all bring a, a slump, something slightly different to the table. And, and I, I love being a part of that because I think that I bring my skill set of what, what I'm passionate and love to the table. And, you, and suddenly you are, you've creating a, 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 a better um, progressive and more positive industry and that's where we needed to be a lot of years ago and well you can't change yesterday but you can certainly change tomorrow. That's such a fantastic key message to finish on Andy and it's so humbling to hear uh, from a voice like yourself who's so competent in what you do that animal welfare is at the forefront of what you do and you're so proud to to be a truck driver and yeah I just I just want to thank you for coming on to this podcast and sharing that story as our only livestock leader. Um, <laughs> well, one, I think there's actually another one who's also a producer, but I think you're the, the primary livestock leader in livestock transport and it's just fantastic to have you part of the program and be able to hear of your, more of your story today. Thanks, Millie. And I'd love, I'd love to see more guys. I, I hope if, if anyone is sit, sitting behind the wheel that, that, that's listening to this sort of thing that or, or can, can contemplating a, a career in in transport have a crack reach out to someone you know or and and um, I'd, in, I'd encourage people to get involved I think there's a world of opportunity in in, um, in transport there's there is in AG that we never saw 20 years ago either which I think is awesome to see so you know if you if you are thinking about it then then um, then step up and have a go I, th I think there's a lot of opportunity in the future and very proud to be part of it and hopefully there can be a couple of other truck drivers sit around the room with me and sort of give me a bit of a hand yeah and it certainly is an exciting time to be in ag andy um yeah thank you again for coming on board
Thank, thanks, Millie. Thank you for the opportunity. Cheers. 